0: Hey, if you're joining us today for the first time, we're in the middle of a series called Who is God? And, and what we've been doing is trying to identify the, the difference between the way Jesus talked about God and the way everybody else talks about God. Because we live in a world where, unfortunately, uh, there are some bad God narratives that float around. Um, they, they come out of our culture. Sometimes they come out of our traditions. Uh, they come out of little nuances that seem to have a scriptural basis. And yet, then as you look at the entire, the entire story of God in the scriptures, the, these, these bad narratives are not there. But, but God, God sent his son, Jesus. And so Jesus spends his entire life here on earth, telling people about who his Father is. And he says several times in the Gospels, if you want to know who God is, look at me. And if you want to know who I am, then understand who God is. And, and so what we're doing this fall is we're, we're looking at these God narratives that, that Jesus tells us about, the way he tells us God really is. And, and over the last few weeks, we've discovered that God is good, uh, that God is trustworthy, that God is generous. I mean, the God of Jesus is good and trustworthy and generous. And last week, we, uh, we ran across a little phrase for those of you that were with us either on campus or online, uh, or even later in the week on demand, the, the, the phrase that Dr. Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist and author, uh, basically says sums up the way most Evangelical, holiness, basically all Protestant churches, the message that people hear when they come into our worship centers is simply this. God is good, you're bad, try harder. And we looked at the fact that that's really a bad God narrative. That, that, that's not the way Jesus portrays our Heavenly Father. And, and In fact, I suggested that perhaps through the week we might, we might try something different that we would learn to say God is good, he delights in us, we can trust Him. And so because I really want you to get that, I, I'm going to ask you if you're on campus with us today to, to say that with me as we start, that God is good, God is good. He, delights in us. he delights in us, we can trust Him. We can trust. Okay, about half of you were there, so let's try the other half, all right? All right, okay. God, is God is good, He delights in us. We can trust him. Can trust. So if that's the reality, rather than God is good, we are bad, try harder, then then we need to we need to put our our minds, our hearts, our souls, our lives around these, these God narratives that Jesus was telling. And there's one of them that we're going to to look at today that that may be the most the most powerful, the most famous of all the God narratives that that Jesus told. Um, it's recorded for us only in the Gospel of Luke in the 15th chapter. And, and it's so powerful that, that stories have been written, movie scripts have been written, uh, paintings have been. Rembrandt made a painting of this story in 1660. The, the story is commonly referred to as the prodigal son. It's the story that, that grabs hold of the heart of the human condition and for most of us, we, we hear that story and we know that story. And, and if you've never heard it before today, I'm, I'm going to tell it to you. Or you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 15. But, but before we get into the story, you have to understand the context of the story. No story happens in isolation. No narrative takes place in a totally isolated frame, ref, frame of reference. The, the, this story takes place in a setting where, where religious people, scribes and Pharisees, are pretty upset with Jesus. Now this is not uncommon for them to be upset with him over the same reason that Jesus tells the story. You see the reason they're upset with him is because people who weren't religious, people who weren't upright, people who weren't of the established class are coming to Jesus by the hundreds. And and they they look at this event and it goes countercultural to their god narrative. They, they don't get that that a good God can delight in people whose activity is not, not good, that God can delight and love people who are acting in horrible ways, and that those same people can be changed from people who act in horrible ways to people who find a brand new way of living. They are so locked into their God narratives that when Jesus begins to tell people who are lost, tell people who are hurting, tell people who are broken that that they can be be healed, they can be made new, they, they can find life in the midst of death. When Jesus begins to tell them that narrative about God, these religious people, these scribes and Pharisees are outraged. And they begin to criticize Jesus. And you find that same dynamic, that same context in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and I would even tell you in the 21st century. In a lot of churches, I still remember in my first church uh, on a a New Year's Sunday, the first Sunday after the New Year, there was a a couple that, that came in, and they came in and sat on the back row. And uh, I'll never forget it because it was one of those churches, that congregation, the, the sanctuary was so small, we knew everybody who was a visitor. Now, I mean, since COVID around here, some of you are looking around like, oh, I can't. No, st- seriously, we're still large enough that you don't know who was here first hour and they don't know you. And, but in that little church, everybody knew everybody. And if somebody was a visitor, everybody knew it. And I remember during the service, because that was during the days when I used to sit up on the platform and look out at the people during the whole time they were singing so I could know who was singing, all right, and I could know who wasn't singing, and who was spiritual, and who wasn't spiritual, and I looked, and I saw this young couple, good-looking young couple in the back row, and I'm like, wow, visitors, fresh meat, all right, let's go, and, uh, and, then, and then after the service, before they Before they got to me, because that was also in the time frame. This is pre-COVID, way before pre-COVID. When the pastor had to stand at the door and shake hands with everybody who came that day. I mean, and they all did the same thing, all right? They all said, "Good, good, good, good sermon, pastor. Good sermon, pastor, right? It wasn't that good. I started preaching at 17 years old. Trust me, it took me 20 years to figure out how to even spell a good sermon, all right? And, and they would have a good sermon, and then they'd go on, you know. And, and, and then on this particular day, though, there were these two young ladies from our church. They played on the church softball team. I, I coached them. And, uh, and as they came out, uh, Angie and Mary were their names. And Angie and Mary came out, and as they, and they looked and said, did you see who was here on the back row? I said, no. I saw a new couple, but I don't know them yet. So we don't know her, but we know him. I said, Really? what's their name? We don't know. You know him, but you don't know their name. Now, people are starting to queue up now because they're ready to burp, good, good sermon pastor, good sermon pastor, all right. And, 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 uh, and, and they, they, I said, well, ladies, do you remember the name? And they said, no, but we know him. I'm like, how do you know him? And then they, they have both blushed from the office party at Christmas. I said, from the office party at Christmas and you don't know his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, why was he at your office party? He was the exotic dancer we hired. (laughs) Okay, if you're going to tell the pastor a good sermon, don't confess all that stuff, right? And, 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 you know, they were just like, they can't, they can't, they can't. Why are they here? Why is he here? I mean, their two worlds collided in like an, an amazingly uh, awkward kind of way for them. Well, here are these people in Jesus' day, just like people in this day, who are struggling with this God narrative that God, God loves us, God delights in us, and we can trust God because we want to we control God. We want to we control our environment, particularly since COVID. I mean, I've got a friend who's a mental health therapist who was telling me that, I mean, just he's being swamped with people trying to see him right now. And he said, but Carrie, the the main thing in almost every session I'm doing with people is, you know, 20 months ago, the world went nuts. 20 20 months ago, everything turned upside down, and I've got to get some control because I've lost control of my world. Well, see, that's part of this understanding of a good God narrative. Because a good God narrative is that God is good, and God is trustworthy, and, and God, God is generous, and God is love, and he can, he can handle your stuff. So when these people start criticizing Jesus because the tax collectors and the sinners and the people are coming to him, then Jesus sees it. And, and Jesus starts by telling them about a shepherd and some sheep. He says, you know what, guys, there, there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep wandered far away and, and was lost. And if you grew up in a church you, you, and you're of a certain generation, you probably sang a song that, that says this, the, the ninety and nine were safely in the fold while the shepherd went looking for the one that was lost. And you need to know that old hymn is wrong. Because if you read Luke 15, the shepherd left the ninety and nine on the hillside. He risked the 99 to go find the one. That's how much God is good and how much God is generous and how much God is trustworthy and how much God loves us, is that he would risk 99 to go find the one. And then Jesus keeps talking. He says, you know, there was a, there, there was a widow and she didn't have much, but, but she, had some, she had some coins And she was counting her coins, and she realized one of those coins wasn't there. And and so she cleaned her house from top to bottom, and she searched everywhere she had been because she didn't want to lose what was precious to her. And then then Jesus looks at these people who are upset with him, and he says, Hey, I just want you to know, my heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, loves you that much and loves these people you're criticizing that much He loves them so much that he would risk you and risk everybody else for them. And if they're lost, he will turn heaven and earth over in order to find them. And oh, and by the way, you also need to know that when one of those lost people finds Jesus and Jesus finds them, that all the angels in heaven rejoice because that one person who was lost is now found. And then he starts to tell this very famous parable, story, narrative about God. You see, that's why we've been so wrong to call it the parable of the prodigal son. We think about it as a a parable about us and the way we do things, and, and that's not what Jesus was trying to say at all. What Jesus was trying to say is this is about God and the way God does things in response to the way you live your life when you're the sheep that wanders away or you're the coin that rolls into the corner. Jesus Jesus starts the story by saying there was a man who had two sons. Now, they weren't twins. There was an older son and a younger son. And the younger son came to the father, impetuous, impatient, and said, Dad, look, I, I'm tired of waiting for my inheritance. I'm, I'm tired of working here in the family business. I'm, I'm, tired, of, I'm tired of doing this. I want to launch out on my own. I want to start my own life. Dad, listen, would you would you just give me my part of the inheritance? Now, to the people listening to Jesus, this is just ridiculous. First of all, in that culture, in the first century, the inheritance was not given until after the, the man died. That was the norm. But it could, be, it could be that due to illness or due to some situation, they might divide the, the inheritance early, but, but it wasn't customary. And so when the first group of people heard Jesus tell this very famous prodigal son story, and they hear that the father, the father was approached by the son. what they're expecting is the the father to say, no, you can't do that. You have to work here on the farm. But for those of you who know the story, you know that that's not what happened. It's crazy to them. It makes no sense to these people. But the, but the story Jesus tells, the narrative of our heavenly father, Jesus says, and so the dad pulled everything together, and he gave the son his inheritance. Wow. I mean, that's like mind blown because no one's expecting God to do that. No one's expecting a God who would let an impetuous, impatient young man take what is not legally his yet and be blessed with it. But you see, that's that's why that narrative of God being good and generous and trustworthy is so important. Because the good and generous and trustworthy God is love. And love, love allows us to make choices. You see, the God of Jesus loves us enough to allow us choices. I mean, that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Throughout the grand narrative of Scripture, people have an opportunity. People have a choice. You have a choice. You can either respond to the generous, good, loving God, trust Him, because in spite of your failure, in spite of your sinfulness, in spite of your brokenness, in spite of your pain, He still delights in you. He still loves you. In spite of all of that, He's giving you a choice. And the, the flip side of that is that if you live continually in pain, if you live continually in brokenness, if you live continually in your sin, if you live continually in your pain then that's your choice. See, that, that's, a, that, 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 that's a little bit heavy, isn't it, for a rainy Sunday morning? But you see, it's not that God is up in heaven and he's angry and he's wrathful and he's vengeful and he's going to punish you. No, no, listen, he's giving you choices. And you may be impetuous and you may be impatient, but his love for you never ends. His knowledge of who you really are is deeper than even you. You can't become self-aware enough to know as much about yourself as God already knows about you. And what he's saying to you is, that's your choice. You say, Pastor, how, how do you get that? Well, look at the dialogue. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Everybody's shocked. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, his inheritance, his possessions, everything. And he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered his property in reckless living. Now, it's, it's fun over the years to listen to, to preachers preach and define reckless living. I, I've, heard, I've heard reckless living defined in every way conceivable. I mean, gambling, drinking, chewing tobacco, smoking what in the 70s we called wacky-backy. I've, I've heard reckless living described as prostitution. Addictions. I've heard reckless living described as, as all kinds of things, but, but you know what? This passage doesn't describe it. Now, later on in the passage, the, the boy's brother describes it, and, but there's nothing here that actually says what the brother accused him of. It's just that he lived recklessly. See, that's, that's why this passage is so important. We've tended to make it about the, the son and what he did. But that's not why Jesus is telling the story. It was Helmut Thieleke, a German theologian who was wrestling with what it meant to be a Christian in Germany during, before, during, and after World War II. A professor and a pastor at the same time who who put together a, a collection of sermons under the title from this parable, The Waiting Father. You see, that, that's, that's really what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say to people who are being critical about the, 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 the people who are coming to him who are reckless in their living. And, and he's talking about sheep and he's talking about coins. And now, now he's trying to say, listen, this is how much your heavenly father really loves you. He loves you enough to give you the freedom to choose whether to love him or not. I have to tell you, I, I have two sons. They're grown men. I have a daughter-in-law. She's amazing. She's amazing. That she would marry one of my sons is amazing. And they have a beautiful little girl, my younger son and his wife. And I have to tell you something. When my boys were growing up, and even though my granddaughter doesn't like talk yet, she still loves pretty well. And I have to be honest with you, it means so much more to me as a father and as a grandfather, as a father-in-law, when one of those individuals comes up to me without any prompting, without any kind of setting, it's not my birthday, it's not, you know, Christmas, but they just come up to me and say, hey, I just want to let you know, I love you, Dad. Or that little nonverbal, well, she's verbal, it's just none of us understand the words. (laughs) Granddaughter, when she just puts her arms around my neck and hugs me, see, that means so much more. Then when my wife tells them around the corner, go tell your dad that, that you love him, right? that, that, that doesn't mean as much when they choose. And that's what your heavenly father wants you to know, that you have a choice. You have a choice to love him. You have a choice to live in relationship with him. Or you have a choice to walk away, to squander your life in reckless living. It's your choice. That's the God of Jesus. He gives us choices. He won't manipulate you. He won't control you. He will live in a relationship with you. He will will honor you. He will respect you. He will grow you. He will guide you. But he will only do those things if you choose. If you choose. But what happens if you make the wrong choice? Well, some of you know the story, right? If you don't read it this week in Luke 15, let let me tell you about it. See, what happens is the boy goes off, squanders his property in reckless living. Now, that summarizes what took place. Because he took all of his resources, all of his money, he went to a far country, and he partied hard. I mean, he really—anything he, there was to enjoy, he enjoyed. And he, and, 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 and he used his money to bring friends. But when he couldn't pay for the party, the party was over. And suddenly, he finds himself out of money. He's he's spent all the money. He's squandered all the money. And then a famine hits the land. And some of you know this story, but it's a powerful image coming out of a pandemic that hopefully we're coming out of eventually. Because now suddenly, what was his resource going into it? is no longer his resource. What were his connections going into it are no longer his connections. And now suddenly he's sitting here and nobody has enough to eat. And jobs, they're not any jobs. And and the friends who used to be his friends, they're not his friends anymore. In fact, here's how bad it gets. This is a good Jewish young man. And remember, Jesus is telling this story to Jewish people. And as Jesus is telling the story, he says, and you know what? So a famine hits the land and the money is all gone and the young man has nothing to eat and no job and no money. And so what does he do? He hires himself out to a local farmer to feed the pigs, to feed the swine. Now at that point, this is almost as big a moment for those people as the fact that the father gave him a choice. Because for any Jewish boy To hire himself out to feed pigs was totally a rejection. I mean, that's as depraved as you can get in their mindset in a Jewish village in the first century. You're the lowest of the low, you're feeding the pigs. And then Jesus says, and it got worse than that. He got so hungry because no one gave him anything to eat that he looked at the food the pigs were eating and he wanted to eat it. Now, I've heard some preachers say, and he ate it, but that's not in the text, okay? And I've, I've slopped hogs once. I really don't want to ever think about eating what we fed those poor animals, all right? But what he did say is he's sitting there as low as he can get at the bottom of everything. And suddenly here's the word. It doesn't matter which translation you read. This, this word is huge. He came to his senses or coming to his senses. I love that. Because suddenly he realizes he made a choice. He made a series of choices. And in the series of choices that he's made, he's moved further and further away from his father. So now he's totally beneath even the servants at his father's house because none of them eats what the pigs eat. And so so he, he decides coming to his senses, that he's going home. But now he's not going to go home and and try to be the son again. He's already wasted that opportunity. He's not going to go home and try to get more for himself with resources because he knows he's already received all of his inheritance and he's wasted it all. Instead, he says, you know what? I'll go home and be a servant. I'll hire myself out as my servant to my dad because I know at my dad's farm, everybody gets to eat. Nobody has to eat what the pigs eat. And so Jesus tells us that, he, that he's walking back, and along the way, he's rehearsing this speech that he's going to tell his dad, right? Dad, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, I, I, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I'm, I, I just, can I just be a slave? <laughs> can I just be a servant here? And, and all, all the way home. he said, Now, remember I told you, this story isn't about the boy. He's in the story, but he's not the hero, the main character of the story. No, this story is about God. The God of Jesus. Who loved us enough to give us choices, but then Loves us enough, this is the most amazing thing. He to have compassion on us when our choices break us. When our choices break us, when we get to the same place where this man was. And we decide to come home. The story that Jesus is talking about is that the God who searches after the lost sheep, and the God who searches after the lost coin, and the God who has all of heaven rejoice because he loves one person that much, the God who gives us a choice to walk away or stay, the God who gives us a choice is the God who also has compassion on us. So when Jesus is telling this parable to the people who are gathered that day in the first century, the way he says it, again, mind blown because he fills the parable with images that are totally contrary to their understanding. See, they understood God is high and mighty and awesome and austere. And that's what older Jewish leaders and heads of households were respected to be, revered and, and austere and powerful. And look at the way he tells the story. And so the young man, having come to his senses, prepared the speech arose and came to his father. But look at this. It's just one sentence, but it's powerful. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, you've got to know, this is so contrary to their image of an austere, awesome God. This father... Should not, first of all, old Jewish guys don't run. They might like skip a little, walk a little fast, but they don't run. And the image Jesus portrays is that this father whose son had betrayed everything out of his impetuousness, out of his impatience, that the father was waiting for him. Even though he knew the boy had made a bad choice, he was waiting for the boy to turn around and come back. And that's who God is. For you and me. For every lost lamb, for every lost coin, for every lost soul. He's waiting. And he's looking at the skyline, the horizon. And he sees, he sees. This figure it kind of looks like his son, but it's been a few years, and, the, and the, the, the stride's kind of broken a little bit, and the shoulders are kind of slumped a little bit, and, and it might be his son. And then suddenly he recognizes that it is his son. And, and so what does he do? He's filled with compassion for the brokenness of his son. And so this father runs throwing with abandon, throwing away everything. And he gets there, and he grabs him, and he hugs him. None of this was normal. None of this was expected by the people listening to Jesus tell the parable the first time. They expected retribution. They expected vengeance. They expected, at least, I told you so. But what they got was a God who not only gives us choices, but who has compassion on us when the choices break us to the point of throwing his arms around the boy and kissing him on the cheek. And at this point, the boy... The boy's like us. I've rehearsed this speech. Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. can you can, Can you hear him? He's going through it, man. He's memorized this thing all the way home. Father, I'm sorry. I sinned against you. I sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And his dad is going, I don't care. And he calls to his servants, go, get some shoes for his feet. My son won't be here barefoot. Get a robe to put on his shoulders. It's cold. He needs to be warm. Put a ring on his finger. None of these were signs of wealth. We look at him and say, oh, oh, this is God's going to return all. No, 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 no. These are signs of acceptance. These are signs of love. The boy's always squandered his property. We find that out later when Jesus is talking as we get in a few moments to the rest of the story about the dialogue between the father and the other brother. The father's not giving away anything except his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, but he's giving his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness. And by the way, he has so much love and so much acceptance and so much forgiveness that he has compassion on us too. See, the God of Jesus is not the God who proclaims the message. God is good. You are bad. Try harder. He's the God who says, God is good. He delights in you even when you make bad choices. So you can trust him. You can trust him. And here's the best part. Jesus doesn't forget who he's talking to. Because the parable doesn't end there. See, that's the way, that's the way we normally end the parable. They, they, call, they bring out the robe. They bring out the shoes. They bring out the ring. They start the party. They kill the fatted calf. Everybody's dancing. Everybody's singing. My son who was lost, now he's, now he's home. He was dead. Now he's alive. But that's not where Jesus stops the story. You see, there's that older brother. And, and that older brother is out in the field, just like he'd been every day while his baby brother was gone. And he's doing his responsibilities, just like he had every day while his baby brother was squandering everything. And he hears the music as he's coming toward the house at the end of the day, and he calls out to one of the servants. He said, what's that music? That's like dance music. I mean, there's a party going on. What's What's the occasion? And the servant says, your brother, my brother, the one that that went away. Yeah, he came home. And your dad's killed a fatted calf for him and he's throwing a party to celebrate the fact that he came home. And that point, in that moment, we discover that the God of Jesus loves us enough not just to have compassion on us when our choices break us, but to come out to us, to come into our presence, to follow us to the place where we are in our brokenness and in our bitterness. Because remember, when the broken boy came home, the father ran to him. And when the bitter boy came home, the father ran to him. Look at the story. The older brother was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father. You know, those four words, the most important words in this passage. He, his father, came out. My friends, whether you're broken today by the choices you've made or bitter today because of someone else's choices that have impacted you, You've got to know the God of Jesus loves you enough to come right where you are and to to love you through your brokenness and through your bitterness. His father came out and, I love that word, entreated him, begged him. But he answered his father, look. These many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, all right, yeah, he is ticked off, isn't he? That, they didn't even call him his brother, that son of yours. But when this son of yours came, you killed the fattened calf for him? And the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And I think Jesus, when he finished the parable, looked at the people who had been so critical of him to say don't you understand who God really is he is good he is generous he is trustworthy and he is love the point of the parable is not the pain of the prodigal but the compassion of the father you see what Jesus is trying to help those people and help us understand is that legalism limits while love compels us. Legalism limits us, but love compels us. When we were, when we were planning the service for this week and I was sharing with the team kind of where this sermon was going to go. Sarah said, hey, hey Pastor Kerry, I, I wrote a song a few years ago about this story. Maybe we should close with it. I said, hey, send it to me. I, I want you to know when, when, you, when you text a guy like me, a Spotify link, I'm allowed to watch it one time without listening to a commercial. I just want you to know, or just one time. But it just took one time. And when I heard it, I texted Sarah right back and said, Sarah, let's let's sing this. But I'm not asking you to sing it today. What I'm asking you to do is to listen to a song you've never heard before that tells a story you've heard all your life. But we've done something different for those of you on campus today. You see, we have these altars here at the front. And we've put them back in as soon as we could with the COVID protocols this last year. But this week, I asked some folks to help me move the other two altars that we have to the back of the room. And what I'm going to ask you to do on campus today is I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Would you do that? Would you just stand right where you are? And I'm going to ask you to... To simply bow your head and close your eyes. And while Sarah sings this song, if if you're broken and you just need to talk to Jesus, whether you're at the front of the room or the back of the room, that's what these altars are for. They've they've been sanitized. They're safe. And if you want to just slip over to one of them and pray. I invite you to do that if you just want to do that and nobody else is going to mess with you those altars underneath the balcony, that's what they're there for they're just a private place for you and God and these altars here at the front if you'd like for me or one of our pastors or one of our prayer partners to pray with you you come here But wherever you are, on campus or online or on demand, in these next few moments, hear these words, hear this story. But more than that, hear the voice of your heavenly.